Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. My guest on today's show is a hilarious stand-up comedian in his own right. But you might know him as Pete Davidson's best friend, both in real life and on screen. Yo, where'd you get this? This shit does not taste very good. What are you talking about? This shit's fire, dog. Do you guys even really get high anymore? I, I don't really think I get high anymore. I think I just kind of am myself. I haven't been high in a while, man, but I still do it. I like the lifestyle. <laughs> This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Ricky Velez with Pete Davidson in last summer's The King of Staten Island. Just like with that movie, which ended up on demand instead of in theaters due to the COVID crisis, Ricky was all set to tape his very first hour-long stand-up special in April 2020, when he had to delay it indefinitely. Now, that special, titled Here's Everything, is finally set to premiere on HBO this weekend, and it is pretty fire. It really feels like Ricky is on the verge of blowing up, so I am so excited to welcome him on the podcast today to talk about how he got here and what comes next. Here's me with Ricky Velez. Want to laugh harder before we even get into it? <laughs> I am so bad at technology that I like left my house like a half hour early to make sure I can get my AirPods, <laughs> AirPods. connected to my Apple computer. And it was okay. so easy that I felt so dumb yeah. afterwards. And then you're just sitting around for 30 minutes like... Uh... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Um, I was looking back, we we talked um, right around when uh, King of Staten Island came out, I guess last summer. And yeah. you were talking about how you had... Uh, delayed your your taping of your special because it was supposed to be what april uh 2020 yeah and here we are i know it's like that feels like a million years ago and it's it's finally coming out so uh congrats i think i was living in florida when we spoke last time you were yes and you were like you were determined to tape in new york but you were like if i have to tape (laughs) in florida i'm taping in florida i'm i'm happy we waited i really am yeah was that tough to like think you were doing something a year and a half ago and now it's like finally actually happening no I, i like I just keep coming back to the idea of like, even with how bad things were, the timing of this was perfect to be back in New York, to be able to do it unmasked in New York City. Like it it was perfect. And you just taped it like pretty recently, right? Yeah, we're flipping this one fast. Yeah, Uh, I think that's great. I mean, I think it's like, I feel like there's this thing for a while where specials would be taped like a year before they came out and I never knew why. Oh yeah, I, I, I mean, that would just drive me crazy. Was it important for you to turn it around so fast so that it would be, you know, up pretty soon after you taped it? Well, we, uh, we got a date from HBO and then on top of it, we, uh, I wanted to get back onto the road and I did five months and I wanted to do it right. I wanted to wait until I was vaccinated in two weeks out before I started moving. Cause a lot of places I was going were, <laughs> I mean, 
Texas and Atlanta <laughs> and Miami. Like, all, I mean, they were dicey. places. It's the places you want to make sure your vaccine game was up. Yeah. And places where the audience's vaccine game might not be up. Yes. Yes, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> so you so you got on the road. So that was like, what, earlier in the in the spring or the summer? Um. Yeah, it was uh, the first second week of April. I was able to get out, and um, it from the beginning it was a lot of fun. And I brought, all, I, yeah, I really had fun on that tour, bringing my friends with me, and just like really enjoying it for what I was going into. Um, it was important to me to like enjoy this tour after yeah. so long of, of not performing. Or were you doing some performing here and there before that? Um, you know, last summer, me, Pete, and Mulaney did some like farm shows, but I don't even <laughs> count that as stand up at this point. Yeah, that was just that sounds uh, tough. It was. It definitely was. You never know how hard you're bombing until you hear hear a cow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you kind of had obviously an hour ready to go. You know, last April before that, did it? Did you do much? You know, developing writing new material between then and. And now, or did and that, I think that was the other thing that happened that was crazy was I had like a whole new life of like <laughs> yeah. I had I like I felt great to be out and in comedy clubs again and moving so I was so excited so like it was interesting when we got up to the last couple of weeks where I started to have to cut things like really just taking the things that I really loved and wanted to put out there. But for the most part, I open up with two brand new jokes on the special. I tell stories. So, I mean, they're a little bit longer, but the pigeon and the, uh, old woman, those were brand new jokes right off the top. Yeah. So the, the special is called here's everything. And is that sort of, is that you saying this is, this is all my best stuff or how do you think about that? Uh, that title you know i'm really proud of this that you know i've been doing stand-up since i was 19 i've been touring since i've been touring consistently for six seven years and i've never had any uh stand-up on television none that's wild i know i noticed that you'd never you haven't performed on late night (laughs) shows or uh... no i've said no to late night shows which is yeah it just wasn't the timing wasn't worth working and um i really just wanted to wait for an hour. I wanted an hour. And, um, yeah, those late night sets with the sort of five, six minutes seems tough. You know, there was a lot of problems with it and I think it's interesting, but like my, my material is a little bit on the edge and I've had problems with that going back and forth with the bookers. And I just think it's weird when bookers get involved in the creative, but I understand that's their job. Um, and that was the best part about this special is it's like all the creative is mine. I mean, down to the editing, sound mixing and the rest of that, the pictures being taken, everything we like, I it got ran past me. Our stage, I, I helped design the stage for the special as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that must be very weird if you're if like a late night show wants to have you on and then you tell them what you want to do and they're like, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, not even that. Um I mean, there was one time I just basically got an offer to when I when I went on the road with Aziz to Europe. He called me. He's like, "Let's go to Europe," and I was like, <laughs> "All right, tight, let's do it." And um, I, I was supposed to do uh, a late night that week, and it just didn't You're pan like, out. Oh, yeah, and, you know what? I'd rather go to Europe. And yeah, and then when and then, then directly after that is when me and Judd decided we wanted to do a special together. So I was like, really going to try to like. I really loved the idea of not doing any television <laughs> until you have an. Hour. <laughs> yeah 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 that is kind of cool yeah i mean it's funny you're talking about your material being on the edge one thing that i noticed 
in some of your premises is I feel like there are a handful of premises in the, in the special that almost feel designed to uh, go against what you're probably mostly liberal audience uh, is expecting, <laughs> whether it's, you know, Joe Biden's too old to be president or, uh, you know, that you don't want to defund the police, even something, just even something as simple as saying like, I love America. <laughs> um, I do you know. love America. <laughs> I just, listen, I come from a town of blue collar people. Um, my, my parents worked their asses off. Um, as did all my friends and some of them are still there doing the same stuff. And I speak for those people. I speak for the people that I, uh, grew up around. Um, I think that's why this special is so different is like, you're really hearing a voice that hasn't been told at this point. How would you describe that voice that, and, and how is it different from you think what a lot of what's out there? I just don't think there's just like, I come from the most diverse borough in New York city. Yeah, like I, I think about this a lot. Like racism is so weird to me because I never really understood it. <laughs> you know, my, my next door neighbors were Filipino to my other side, I had a Pakistani guy. Then across the street, I had two Italians. Like it was like, it was so mixed that like, it never really made sense when I was growing up. Like it never, we didn't see it often. That's, if you hated somebody, you hated that person for that being that person. <laughs> so it was just um, just very interesting to me being there. And um, I, yeah, I, I've seen all walks of life, you know, and and you get to living in this city. Yeah, I mean, even within your own family, right? Because you're half Irish, half Puerto Rican. Yeah, I mean, that was crazy. That was definitely <laughs> crazy. Like, I, and on both sides, I have people that were just out of control. <laughs> out of control, fun, but at the same time, we had people that were amazing. I have a cousin that went to Yale. Like, I mean, we, uh, but at the same time, I also had an uncle that used to have to check into jail on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's, that's very different. Um, yeah, yeah, and you kind of use that you, that identity to introduce yourself in the special, talking about the parades and um, mm. how uh, how you you know you already have too many parades to go to. By the way, I'm Irish and Puerto Rican. That's my mix. It, that that that's what it is. No, 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 no. Those people should not hang out. Irish and Puerto Rican, I'm just happy I'm not gay because that's way too many parades to go to. <laughs> Yo, where's Ricky at? He got another parade, dog. He can't chill. Sundays aren't good for him. Don't hit him up on Sundays. He parades a lot. If you need him, he's on fifth. You go if you need him. You know, you also have some material in the special about being a dad and, um, you know, raising a son. And, and I actually just uh, became a dad just a, a few months ago. Thank you. So um, I always I always like, uh, you know, seeing comedians talk about that experience. And um, yeah, and talking about how you, uh, that you're glad you have a cute kid um, because they're not all yeah. cute. I always think, they you know, I, I think I think I have a cute kid as well. But then I think, you know, if I didn't, I don't think anyone would tell me. Yeah, that's the, that's the problem that's going on right now, man. Everybody thinks their kid is cute. It's not the truth. How do you feel like your material changed, your life changed, your you know your approach to comedy changed becoming a dad? Um, I mean, it changed everything. It changed how I felt about things. Uh, I I had removed jokes that I was just like, oh, I wasn't a father. I, that's why I was saying that. Like I didn't understand. <laughs> like, is there an example of something like that? I'd rather not. 
on the joke that I that I take t- took out, but I mean, I just think that like once you realize what the responsibility of being a dad is, and that's one of the biggest things I pride myself off is being a dad. Um, and when when he like when my son grows older, I don't want him to look back and be like that line was weird. <laughs> like I, I, um, so yeah, that's how I sit on it. Do you think about him, you know, talking about him in the special and what he'll think about that when, when he's older? Man, I'm so afraid they're going to kick him out of the private school we got him into <laughs> once they see this special. I mean, it's Monday and it's Columbus Day, so he didn't have school today. But I, I, imagine, I imagine sooner or later we'll get a call about something. <laughs> So I would love to kind of talk about how you got started in comedy um, just from the beginning. So you said you were you were 19 when you when you first started uh, getting up on stage. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, it, it was a lot. I went to college real quick. I just I've, I've never been anybody good at, uh, in books or good student I was out of there in less than a year. And then I moved back to Queens. And basically the idea was after the summer I was joining the military um when i went to join the military they sent me to meps that's where you go ahead and take all the like the uh the the medical stuff to join the military and during it uh something was found and then i actually had to like go through a bunch of cat scans and whatnot and then i was denied to yeah and then i was denied to the military and then ended up uh working for my buddy's uh he has a carpet company all right and i just like laid carpet but it was it sucked because like I was laying carpet for like fashion week and like like all these <laughs> private parties. So like I was seeing like all the people I wanted to be like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were you were the guy just, putting out the red carpet. Uh, yeah, yeah. No joke. I seriously, yeah, I did that for <laughs> a long time. And um, and during that time, I just started doing stand up. And first first show went well, and then. Afterwards, I just like started hanging around the club so much, and then my, they uh, offered me a job, and I made a deal with them that I'd work there as long as I can do every single show that they had at nightly. And I would, it was weird because I, I'd be the guy that took your ticket, and then I'd be on stage like, "Hey, like, so, <laughs> which which club are you working at?" I did it that at the Broadway Comedy Club, which is uh, not the greatest, but it gave me what I needed to learn how to and you know i like i would follow guys i would um i i would one of my favorite stories is uh when i was young in comedy i wrote letters to all the comedians i liked and um the only person that responded to me was aziz ansari and he like wrote me through my whole career back and forth and that's amazing like now we're friends and <laughs> like actual letters on paper. No, uh, emails. <laughs> we just, we just write emails back. I was and imagining forth. you guys and, like um, as pen pals with like, you know, handwritten letters back and forth. Well, the best part was I didn't tell him this once we became friends. Like he didn't put it together and someone outed me and I was like, Oh, this is uncomfortable. That was now. You. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I just like, I, I, I very much was okay with being a student and, um, I remember I was very fast to be like, I want to do this. I want to do that. And a comic told me he was like, stay in this club for three, four years and then audition when you're ready. And once I did that, like I did hit the ground. I was in every single club in probably two, two months. Yeah. Um, what was and some I, of the, yeah. sorry, what, what was some of the advice that, uh, that Aziz or, or anyone else gave you, you know, besides just sort of grinding it out, were there things that they, 
that you sort of hadn't thought about that, that they told you about early on? Um, you know, I, uh, I probably came in with like a little bit too big of an ego. So like the idea of like flyering and stuff like that, I would never take serious when people told me I, I like, I don't know. I never felt good standing on the street. Plus my anxiety doesn't help that, you know, like just walking up to strangers and being like, Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I would just sit in the club, I'd work, and then I would just watch the guys that I thought were great. Like, I loved watching Mike Vecchione. I loved watching Mike DiStefano. That was somebody that really, like, talked to me and told me things and, like, told me, don't worry about a manager. I'll come if it's supposed to come. And, like, um... Basically just focus on getting good, I mean, is, is... Well, Mike's biggest thing that he told me was become undeniable. He was like, once you become that, they can't, they can't, they can't tell you no. And I think right before he passed, he was, he had just hit that spot where even if you didn't like his tone and the things he was saying, you couldn't deny that everybody in the room was loving him. He was unbelievable. Um, I imagine getting into the comedy cellar for the first time was a big deal. Do you, was that, what was that process like? And and what did it mean to you to, to get to perform in that club? I, uh, I, I, I love the comedy cellar. I think Noam is one of the best owners in the country. He cares so much. He's in the club so much. And, um, Esty is just, I love her so much. And, uh, that's my home. And, uh, I just think when I was getting there, everything was going on. Like a uh, nightly show had been going. This had been going. Um, the night it happened, I was actually at Caroline's with Che, uh, Michael Che. And I got a phone call and I was just like, hey, you're, uh, you're auditioning at the cellar. And I just ran downtown and did it and then made it back for the second show. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, I really hope this goes well. I really, (laughs) really do. And yeah, I've been there consistently for six years. Easily one of my favorite clubs has always showed me the most love, um, protects comics, which I think is very important. Um, there's nothing like, you know, being on stage and then you look over and someone has their phone out. You know, that, that, that's, that's frightening. We're out here testing things. So, um, I just really respect how much they respect us. And I think that's why they're the greatest club in the world. Do you feel like once you did become undeniable that you got the the breaks came or the, you know, the, the opportunities came to you that you wanted or expected? Nothing I've ever planned for work (laughs) in my, and I think that's a good way to go through it. Um, when you're doing this job, if you're planning on things, you're only going to be disappointed. You're never going to get things exactly how you think you're going to get them. You know, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career for the things I've gotten to do, the places I've gotten to work, the people that I know. But I am surprised daily by what I've been able to do, I guess. Coming up. Ricky talks about how his gig on The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore led to beef with Bill Nye the Science Guy, and what he's learned from watching his friend Pete Davidson become massively famous. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? Right. 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. Ricky Velez is not the only cast member from The King of Staten Island we've had on the show. We've also had incredible conversations with Bill Burr, Pamela Adlon, Robert Smigel, Jessica Kirsten, and director Judd Apatow. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Ricky Velez. I feel like the first time that I really took notice of you was uh, on the nightly show. And, you know, how did you end up being a contributor on, on Larry Wilmore's show? And, and what was that? Um, was that a, a big deal to get that at the time? At the time that was, yeah, that was everything. That was crazy. But that was my first experience in television. And I think I learned a lot from it. I, Larry saw me in a comedy club. He, uh, he had been looking for the show and whatnot. And I don't even think I was really on the list for like contenders of that show. And then Larry saw my stand up, and then from there we just went on. And he was always so great to me and so nice. And I dealt with a lot during that time. My mom passed while I was at that show. Oh, um, sorry. I was good. Thank you. And, um, and it was sudden. And Larry always just really helped me along through. So I, I, he, it was just, it was a great experience. But at the same time, it was a really tough time in my life. I look back on it. Um, and I'm happy it happened. Uh, cause like to this day I can, I have Larry's number. I know John Stewart, you know, you make these relationships that are, uh, so much bigger in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I think that show was interesting because it was different from the daily show in that, you know, a lot of the daily show stuff was like more scripted or like sort of comedy bits. And a lot of what you were asked to do on the nightly show was just like be on these panels where you have to just kind of share your opinion on topics. Right. Yeah. And some of them got me in trouble and people got mad at me and it was just like weird. That was weird for it to be like my first like television experience. But what did that show do for me was made me a headlining comic. So now I was touring around the country, performing, doing what I loved on the weekend. And then during the week, I was learning about making daily television, which was 
definitely a turn for me because that's never how I pictured myself working in television. I, I think I learned very fast that daily television wasn't for me. Yeah. What did it mean to get in trouble on, on that show? I just, I ended up on like the front page of Reddit, man. It was terrible. For what? They put, I, I, so Bill Nye, the science guy was on the show. Watch this, <laughs> watch this get me in trouble again, but watch, let's do it. Bill Nye, the science He's guy been on, on this podcast. Show. He's a nice guy. I've always liked him. He came on the show and there was water on Mars, right? And everybody was like, oh, there's water on Mars. And, uh. That he was week. very excited, I'm sure. And I came out and I said, listen, Trump is first in the polls. The, I said, ISIS is killing it and something else. I was like, I can't get excited about Earth right now. I really don't, <laughs> give, a, I really don't give a fuck about Mars. And so there's two questions that everybody asks. And if you meet people who say, I've never asked, yes, they have. Mm-hmm. Are we alone in the universe? Right. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, perhaps... Where did we all come from? Okay, so now I ask you, do you give a about all that? <laughs> yes, you do. See? That's what I'm you talking about. about the this, this I, I'm not worried this about Mars. I'm yeah. about, like, why would I be you... excited about Mars? I'm barely excited about Earth. Like, I'm telling you, yes, you are. It's a, no, it's not. Trump is first in polls right now. I don't care about Mars. Are you kidding me? So let's, let's, no, let's, no, de- let's, let's defeat ISIS. How yes. about that? All right? I don't yeah, care about In the universe, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say I love you. You just Dr. Field Science. I don't know what the you just said. No, honestly, I'm kind of with you too because I feel like Americans, people, we don't care what's yes, on Mars. Do. Like, we don't care about the water. If it's Caitlyn Jenner's tears, then yeah, tell me all about that water on Mars. <laughs> no, I mean, we gotta same. move to Mars because okay, well, So you're excited if there if there's another life form, you think you <laughs> People just don't even like each other here. Yeah. We, we should get Maureen Povich to, des- to test that DNA. I, yes. Bill, I cannot say, I did not know we would have such Mars hating on the panel. <laughs> Me and Michelle Butow really took like one on the chin for that. And uh, we were... She agreed with you? Yeah, she agreed with me. And I mean, we ended up uh, like on the front page of Reddit. They ended up posting my parents' phone number. Oh my god! So uh, yeah, it was really bad. We were being doxxed to another level, and I really for, hated for it. saying you don't give a fuck about Mars. That seems like they a weird thing to get doxxed for. <laughs> they were calling us science deniers. That's insane. And uh, yeah, it was just tough. It was it was it was wild, but at the same time, like it was a great lesson to learn right off of the top, where it's just like oh, people don't understand, like, we're having a panel show. If everybody on the panel is having the same... Yeah, if everyone agrees. What what show is this, you know? And uh, I think a lot of the time on that show, that's what I was there to do, was kind of, like, take shots and disagree. And Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, it was fun for the most part, but um, when things like that happened and, like, my parents didn't sign up for this. I signed up for this. My family didn't sign up for this. And, That's uh, so crazy. And um, I always laugh. One guy, my, my mom got, was so upset about this, but it was so funny. The guy called the house and he goes, what color are your walls? And my mom goes, what? And he goes, I want to know what color paint chips Ricky ate as a child. <laughs> And I was like, at least he was that's creative. A, that's a, that's a decent creative. joke. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, bad. this guy's 
And my mom's like, this is so scary. I'm like, you're fine. Don't worry. But it was weird. Like, I, I remember when we were doing, like, shows that weekend, I, I remember there was, like, conversation if they should have put more, like, security where we were going, like, where Michelle was going and where I was going. In case the Bill Nye, the Science Guy fans were out for blood. I didn't understand it, man. I, I, that was the first time I was like, yeah, I don't think Twitter's for me. Yeah. You, yeah, you're not on Twitter. No, I got rid of that a while ago. I just never really liked the idea of how people think they can just be so close. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's you know, you said you learned from that experience and it's, I think you could take a few different lessons from something like that. It's like, you could either sort of lean into the controversy and say, oh, this is how I'm going to get attention or yeah, you can really sort of like, you know, back off. So what, which, which way do you feel like you went from from experiencing that i just went silent like i just went silent like i I, like i didn't want to deal with it honestly i didn't want to i didn't want to like i i don't know i just it it was one of the things where it's just i've never really been asked that question but it's like i don't there's something different you know i grew up doing acting at this school and always wanted to be an actor and this that and like i never wanted to really do the social media thing um I like I pride myself on not being a comic that screams into his phone five times a day. Like um, <laughs> I don't like that stuff. That's not why I'm doing. Uh, I'm in this business. So when it started happening to me and I was getting torn up, I was just like, "This isn't it. This isn't what I want want out of this." So I I, I think it's been pretty easy for me to like. I will only have Instagram now, and I'm. I'm almost at the place with that thing where I'm like, I'm not even sure I want to be there anymore. You know? Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it, and, and meanwhile, you're about to put this special out, which is sort of your highest profile thing yet. And, you know, could put you on a, another level of fame. So do you, do you worry about that? Or how do you think about that? Um, I don't, I don't really worry about that. None of that stuff has really changed. Like what I do, uh, I mean, how people treat me, um, that's always going to be interesting, but at the same time, um, listen, I've, I've, I've walked through this life out of a neighborhood. A lot of people won't even go visit, so I'm not worried about any of that. Yeah, I mean, you've de- you've definitely had some proximity to fame, obviously, with you know, with Pete Davidson and with Aziz and all these people who are kind of like whatever they do or say. There's a million headlines about it, and I mean, just from your own perspective, like, do you, I guess. Because I, it must affect how you live your life when that's happening to you. So, do you do you think about that? Um, yeah, I guess I think about it time to time. But I think at the same time, my biggest we we talked earlier about the kids and how much that means to me. And it's like if I can tell jokes and make my child's life better, I'm a I'm gonna take that to every level I can take it to. Because I mean, I I that's all I really pride myself on anymore. So, um, I just, yeah, I, I, no, I don't really fear that. I would, I would deal. I, I think I would be fine with dealing with the bullshit. Plus I stay inside, man. I'm really <laughs> inside. If I'm not at the comedy club, I'm inside and I'm writing. So I'm not any of that stuff. I have no problem with the idea of people not liking things I say on stage. I, have a problem with people changing the wording to meet their agenda. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking in the middle of obviously the, the 
kind of latest Chappelle craziness. Um, and yeah. he had this show, you know, I thought it was really interesting what, you know, he said he was, a uh, at, um, Hollywood bowl this past week and he kind of came out to a standing ovation and said, you know, if this is what being canceled is like, it's pretty, it's pretty sweet. Um, you know, because he, you know, the idea that you could be canceled, but still, you know, sell out Hollywood bowl and have all these fans, it's like, it's not being that it, it raises the question of whether it is, there is such thing as being canceled. I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't know if there's anything like the truth. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you can, I think you can lose industry. I think you can lose commercial. I don't know if you can, if you perform live and venues are willing to take you in. Yeah. You can't be, what's happening. What does Dave need from the industry? Yeah. He at this point, he's, he's not really doing movies. He's not really doing. He's he, he does stand up whenever he wants. I mean, what I, I I imagine even if he went independent and did it himself, he'd still be able to put stuff out. So I do want to talk a little bit about uh, King of Staten Island, which we we talked about. You know, when we did that piece for um, Daily Beast, but I I just really love that movie, and I've seen it uh, now a couple more times after that. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, and you really you hadn't done much you know professional acting before doing that movie and and you're really fantastic in it so um did it make you want to do more acting and is that something that's sort of on your on your radar now yeah it's definitely had me i'm doing more and more now i mean i've i i did an independent over the summer i'm doing something with buscemi um tomorrow um so i'm just staying busy and really enjoying it and the other thing is i'm really getting to act and it's not all about comedy and i even felt that in the king of staten island even though it was about being like funny at times but they're letting us act there and it was a lot of fun are you mad at me me no of course not are are you mad at me i mean no but are they asking questions about me I'm not going to snitch on you, man, but at the same time, like, what am I going to say to them? You were the lookout that didn't look out. Um, well, I've been meaning to ask you, um, you know, since you're in here, uh, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind me staying at your house for a little bit. You came up here to ask me that. I also came you to came, see you. No, you didn't come to see me. You came to ask me that. No, you can't stay at my house. I'm sorry. I have nowhere to go. My house my is mom frightening, kicked, My dude. mom kicked me out. What the fuck are you doing with your life? Drive all the way down here just to ask me if you can stay at my house. No, I... I no, I, you don't love me. I do love you. I'm sorry. I, I, you're right. I shouldn't have asked. I'm sorry. And Judd was just amazing to be the first person I get to work with at that level because he just makes it so comfortable that I am now comfortable wherever I go. Yeah, and you're and you're going to be working with him uh, some more, I hear. Is that still happening? The uh, uh, yeah, project me with and him are, we're working on another project and uh, staying busy. And he's my favorite person to work for. We write a lot, a lot, lot. But I mean, that's why he's great. You do all the work. What's the uh, What's it like writing with with Jed Apatow? What is that experience like for you? Um, coming from a place where like, I never thought I'd be a writer. I never thought it's, it's the coolest experience I could have asked for. I mean, um, he's given me chances to punch up scripts and, uh, uh, made me a co-producer on King of Staten Island. So it's just, I mean, he, he likes to work a lot. He likes to work a lot. (laughs) And, um, if you're not prepared to do that, he's not the guy for you, but, um, we uh we we go through every scene 
every scene has been written a thousand times over, and there we've seen every which way it could go, and that's why it's always great. Is it a, a movie or a, a show that you're working on, or what what, did, what do you think it'll yeah, end working, up looking we're like? Working, we're, we're working on a feature now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me, um, me, him, and Judah Miller. Nice. Um, is yeah. there sort of a, is it autobiographical or how would you describe it? Uh, I can't get too far into that. <laughs> Still under wraps. Um, yeah, moving quietly is kind of the thing we like to do. And, um, but I'm telling you, when it's, when, it's, when it's said and done, it's going to be amazing because the work is done. Are there are there movies that you you know maybe grew up watching or, or particularly love as a in, in comedy that you're sort of trying to uh, emulate or or do you feel like you're doing something totally different from what you've seen before? Well, I'm working on a few things, and um, one of them I'm doing with Pete, and I'm telling you, like we really uh, we're obsessed with Adam Sandler like to a different level. And I just think we haven't really seen like a Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, or Watermoy in a really long time. And uh, yeah, I think that's the way we're looking to go in, in, in our next one that me and Pete are working on. Oh, that's cool. That'll be a, that's a movie that you're working on with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A feature. And it's funny, man. It's really, really, really funny. And um, just great overall. Yeah. Maybe after, after going a little darker with King of Staten Island, you're ready to uh, do something more just like straight up silly funny. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And just who we are, like, you know, that's who we are. Like, I, like, I mean, me and him sit up in hotels and just watch Waterboy and Billy Madison all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I feel like those movies have gone missing and we need them back. So what I want to do now is uh, our segment called The First Laugh, which uh, I'm going to ask you about a bunch of uh, firsts in your in your comedy, in your career, and uh, maybe we can run through some oh, of these. Oh boy, let's go. This will um, be fun. So starting, maybe this is Adam Sandler related, or maybe it's earlier. What's the what's the first piece of comedy that you remember making you laugh really, really hard? John Leguizamo. Um, yeah, but I remember I was laughing at it and my parents kicked me out of the room. Like they were like, you can't watch <laughs> you this. Can't watch Get this. out of here. But I remember watching Leguizamo and being blown away by like his stage presence. And I was young. Before I even understood what stage presence was, I was just like, I like that. And, um, yeah, he, he, he was definitely the first. Um, is there a time that you remember as being the first time that you knew that you were funny and, and felt funny? I've recently told this story. I went to this high school, a junior high school called 172. And, uh, they used to throw this thing like the extravaganza, like this drama teacher used to run this whole thing. Kids would do like dances and all types of stuff. And my teacher let me and my buddy Dylan write sketches and we wrote this sketch and um, I ended up pulling down my pants in the sketch. And my mom had it on videotape. It was like one of those old cassette tapes that I like, you know, you put the, you put the whole tape in the, in, the, in the video camera. And I remember like re-watching the roar of the crowd. Like I re-watched that. When you dropped your pants? When I was seven, like in the seventh grade. I remember it like, and I remember staying up all night, like sitting in front of the VCR, doing the rewind, watch it, rewind, watch it, and just watching the explosion of the crowd. I was like, I like that. That's what I want to do. <laughs> That'll be in the documentary about your life, the uh, the video of, of you. I got to find first that video. You got. <laughs> I want to find that video. It, it, it exists. It's somewhere. Um, you know, you said you, that your first time 
telling jokes on stage went well, but what else can, what else do you remember about that very first time you got up uh, to do stand up? My first time I remember my parents being there, my cousins and like before, like it was like one of those bringer shows. And I basically like was pissed off once we got there because it was just like me and another kid that brought everybody, but the kid brought more than me. And (laughs) I did better for his people than he did for his people. And I was like, yes, that's a win. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the first joke that you, that really worked that you, that you wrote that you could kind of keep going back to that, that, um, that you could, that you could rely on? Um, yes. Um, it's, it was a dark one. It was really dark. It was about, (laughs) uh, it was that I read an article that the Jonas brothers were rock stars and I was pissed off because I heard one of the, one of them has diabetes and rock stars don't have diabetes. Like they don't, they overdose from cocaine and gasoline. They don't (laughs) (laughs) cocaine and uh, heroin. They don't overdose on Skittles. That's what the joke was. And I mean, that was a very like first, yeah, young, young joke that I, I think also I was just very jealous of the Jonas Brothers lives (laughs) and like who they were, who they were dating at the time. You secretly wanted to be a Jonas Brother? Secretly, secretly, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What about on on the flip side? What about the first time you, you really bombed? Ooh, I, I remember my first, I, I remember my first bomb that like hurt my feelings, um, I was following Greer Barnes during checks. There's a check spot. You you know what? They drop the checks. And so Greer Barnes goes on and he rips the crowd apart. Like rips it apart. And I'm already nervous about that. And then the checks go down and I go up and no one's paying attention to me. And then finally this guy in a suit stood up and he went, it's just not for, in the cards for you tonight, man. It's just not in the cards for you tonight. And I said, you're right. And I put the mic back in the stand and I walked off. And that was like, that one like made me almost quit. Yeah. Well, at least he said it's not in the cards for you tonight instead of, it. you know, quit, quit now forever. <laughs> I like how you took his side. I mean, come on. Sit down. I was, I was a child, dude. <laughs> I was a child. I was 19. <laughs> you, you know, I know you met Pete Davidson really early on and I think he, he was like 16. What do you remember about the, the first time you, you met him and saw him uh, perform comedy? Um, I think we just drew to each other because he was young. I was young. Like everybody else was way older and, um, he was funny. He was easy to be around. We both, uh, interested in the same stuff. So it just like, it just clicked. It was just like right from the moment we met, we were just like, Oh, funny. You're funny. We can hang out. And it was actually me, him and Jordan rock. Yeah. Jordan rock is a very, very close friend of ours. And it was me, him and Jordan and we just used to run around the city and do spots and it was fun. Yeah. It was a simpler, simpler time. I'm sure when, when all you had to think about was, uh, was getting up on we stage. Always, we always laugh about how, like how funny it was. Like we would just all, we would like spend $10 on gas. Another $10 would be for weed. And then that was <laughs> That's like, all you needed. that was kind of like the best time of our careers. Like we had so much fun living that life. But um, it was fun. Um, what about, uh, do you remember the first time you met one of your comedy heroes and, and how it went, who it was, and if there's, if there's a story mm, there? Comedy heroes meeting? Mm, 
I would say Leguizamo was probably the coolest. Me and him at the time were at the same agency, and uh, he was going back on the road to do his Latino, uh, the the for dummies, the 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 education one when he stands in church. I forgot the name of it, but he was doing that, and he uh, I got asked to go on the road with him, and I remember when we got to the airport, like. There was two cars, and he was like, hey, why don't you just ride with me? And I was like, <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, awesome. And then I just got to hang out with him, and, like, he was always just the nicest, and uh, to this day, always nice to me. So I, I, that, was, that, that was a really cool guy to first get to open for, and then also uh, just, just genuinely a nice guy. Yeah, I mean, and he's another one who has sort of, become more of a uh, a serious actor in some ways too um oh yeah like i, I mean, think about him in uh in that show uh when they see us you see him in that i haven't seen him in that but i mean like romeo and juliet man yeah, like, that's, like, that's old school yeah <laughs> he's great at he's that. he's unbelievable yeah and i was he in the last john wick too yeah yeah john <laughs> stay is working john's yeah. the man yeah and then finally, uh, I like to give comedians a chance to shout out, uh, you know, other comedians, other comedy that's making you laugh right now. What's the last piece of comedy that, that made you laugh really hard? Um, my buddy Eagle Wit, I think, is really funny. Is, uh, have you heard of him yet? Really, really, really funny. Eagle Wit. Uh, Zach Zimmerman's making me laugh a lot. And um, the last piece of, like, like, what I've watched that made me laugh. Wow. Hmm. I think Ronnie Chang's one of one of the best He's comedians out. Right. Every time I I see him at the same club as me, I make sure to stay in the room. He's really brilliant, and I just think he's on a different uh, wavelength. Yeah, his last special was so good. He's so funny. He's even funny just to be around. He's a great guy. <laughs> but uh, his all of, all of his specials, uh, I I think he's hitting a lot of th- threes on those. Oh yeah. Well. Thanks, man. Uh, this was this was a lot of fun, and I'm glad we got to to talk again. Matt, uh, yeah, seriously, it's always good to talk to you. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, um, and congrats on the special. Uh, yeah, the, thank it's, you. It's a big deal. It's your, this is your first uh, first time doing stand up on TV. So uh, <laughs> on TV, right? Isn't that everybody's got to check it I out? Feel, <laughs> I feel crazy about it. I'm almost like uh, I for a long time I was like maybe I just never do it. <laughs> You, you have to see, you have to see you live. No, really, really funny special, and um, yeah, I think everyone's gonna really, really enjoy it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Ricky Velez for being my guest on today's show. His first ever hour-long special, Here's Everything, premieres this Saturday, October twenty-third, on HBO and HBO Max. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.